Tell with Robots, the podcast for news and views on robotics. and welcome to the latest episode of the Robots Podcast. My name is Jana and today we bring you the background to one of the most exciting announcements in mobile robotics this year, the running jump of MIT's Cheetah Robot. The MIT Cheetah 2 is an electrically powered quadruped. In May 2015, this four-legged robot became the first to run and jump over obstacles autonomously, signifying a huge advance in the field of mobile robotics by displaying truly dynamic behaviour. Our interviewer Audro spoke to Sangbei Kim, assistant professor at MIT, about the work that led to the Cheetah 2 success story, as well as the team's ambitions for the future. Professor Kim, would you introduce yourself? Hi, my name is Sangbei Kim. I'm associate professor in mechanical engineering at MIT. Uh, I've been working on bio-inspired robots, uh, focusing on locomotion capability. Mm -hmm. And so what is the goal and motivation of your research? So our motivation uh, is to be able to uh, develop a robot that can uh, move around in our environment or dangerous environment uh, so that we can send the robot uh, instead of human. So we, our robotic technology uh, stems from manufacturing applications and in the manufacturing application, robots don't need to move uh, in unstructured environment. They're mostly moving with the rail or not moving and focusing on uh, position, accurate position control to put, uh, place uh, uh, components into the parts. Uh, we need a robot that can actually move around unstructured environment and even like an uh, endangered environment, like a very hazardous environment, like a Fukushima or building fire. Uh, so we can send the robot uh, those places without worrying about uh, uh, putting human in, in danger. So uh, we've been focusing on locomotion capability because that's missing component in robotics technology currently. Um, and uh, in particular, the Chira MIT Chira robot, we uh, we develop a lot of component technology for that specific for locomotion. Um, so right now we're uh, moving a little more uh, beyond just locomotion, just walking. We're trying to uh, combine like a vision so we can try uh, the robot can actually navigate by itself. Okay, so let's talk a bit about the robot. Uh, so we're going to talk about Cheetah 2. Mm -hmm. Can you describe the Cheetah 2 robot? Yeah, Cheetah 2 uh, is the second generation of Cheetah, MIT Cheetah. We started like five years ago. Uh, we... Uh, Envision to develop electric, uh, electrically powered like robot because uh, in history there's no electrically powered robot that can like run or jump. Most of the electrically powered robots are very quasi-static, very slow. Uh, and Boston Dynamics developed their uh, hydraulic version. Uh, it's vastly successful, but uh, very noisy and very inefficient. So we uh, did some investigation and then found that like a huge potential. So we start developing our all electronic components, electric motors, electric uh, uh, the driver amplifier that drive the motor, and uh, the locomotion algorithms uh, since five years ago. So Chira 2 is the latest version of the Chira. 
uh, it has a custom motor uh, uh, designed by us uh, at MIT team. And, mm-hmm. and so starting from the very, very general, I suppose, uh, so it looks like a cheetah. It's a quadruped. Um, yeah, it looks kind like it's like a quadruped. Yeah, we 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 model cheetah based on cheetah, but you know, it, it looks quite different from cheetah. It's really hard to be close to animal, mm-hmm. but it's modeled from cheetah. Uh, but if you look at the many uh, uh, quadruped that runs really well, their morphologies are not that different. Especially, we don't have actually that like exotic like flexible spine of cheetah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's a rigid back, isn't yeah, it? It's a rigid back right now. Or yeah. is there? There's one joint. So Cheetah um, One used to have uh, this uh, uh, joint with the differential power of mm-hmm. uh, the drive, but uh, we we actually uh, decide not to use it in the Cheetah Two, so that uh, mitigate the stiffness and the structural integrity. Um, so Cheetah Two is uh, rather simpler design, but it's more capable. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Cheetah Two is running outside in 3D. Uh, it's about 33 kilogram uh, and about a meter long, about like about 80, uh, 80 centimeter high. Mm-hmm. It's like a big dog size, actually, yeah. Yes. And capable of running uh, up to 6 meter per second without vision sensor. Uh, we believe that with the vision sensor, it can go up to like a 10 meter per second. What will the vision sensor do? Uh, we'll detect the ground height more accurately. So mm-hmm. we're, so far, the most running uh, is done without having any vision, which means you're a blind robot. So basically, you close your eye and then run as fast as possible. It's much more dangerous, and uh, so the uh, it, it is very important to have uh, the, the accurate contact angle of the leg. And then, if you're getting faster and faster, that accuracy requirement becomes severe. And so blind control, we could get only six meters per second. Um, but the the robot the capability of the mechanical capability is way beyond that. Like I think. 10 meter per second, no problem. Um, and now, currently, uh, the cheetah start having the vision sensor. We have a lidar that actually can detect the obstacle and then adjust the step to jump over uh, improperly, autonomously. Yeah. And so, what are the differences between cheetah one and cheetah two? Yeah, there are some uh, differences. Cheetah one uh, majorly uh, running on the in a sort of like a, a track. Uh, with the, some support. So mm-hmm. Chira 2 is fully 3D, but Chira 1 uh, is uh, held in a plane, so it can fall sideways, but it can go only up and down and, and rotate, so it's more like a 2D uh, robot. Mm-hmm. And then motor uh, was less powerful because it's a commercially available motor, and then it has an exotic spine uh, structure, so you can actually use the spine in galloping gait. Uh, so that's a major difference. Legs are slightly different. There's some difference in motors and legs and big difference in algorithm. Yeah. Yes, can you talk a bit about that? So Chira 1, we uh, use very pretty uh, simple algorithm. Like a, we define a sort of like desired trajectory and then uh, apply some sort of like uh, impedance, uh, for, for example, like a vertical impedance, uh, stiffness and damper. and uh, we, we just follow the trajectory based on that uh, the impedance, which is just a gain, tra- position tracking gain. Chira 2 is a completely different. Chira 2 is not relied too much on tr- uh, position tracking. As soon as you hit the ground, when the foot hit the ground, the ground force control, ground stance control is not heavily dependent on position tracking. We're mostly prescribing uh, ground action force. So we call that an impulse planning. 
So in order to uh, compensate, you know, locomotion is basically the fundamental the requirement is you have to fight against your gravity. You don't want to fall. You have to keep your body up. And then you are constantly losing momentum uh, by gravity. So if you're standing, you know, gravity pulls down. So you need to generate the same amount of force to cancel that. Right? If you're running, you need to generate that same amount of impulse with the, in a shorter amount of time because you're sta- staying on the ground much shorter time than you're, when you're standing. So we actually calculate how much impulse I need to generate each step. Depending on my speed, depending depending on my gait, and we actually prescribe that force profile to match that desired impulse, and that's each step. So that's a basic uh, control algorithm. Uh, so in the during the stance, force control is dominating, whereas Cheetah One is still position tracking with the, some uh, virtual spring control. I see. So for Cheetah Two, it's you're planning how hard you're pushing the foot into the ground, how so, much force you're doing. Yeah, we, we, we actually give us some sort of force profile as a function of time. Mm-hmm. And that's yeah. time dependent on <coughs> the rate that it's running. I see. And th- so it seems to me, I mean, we have the DARPA robotics challenge, and that's yeah. involving humanoids. Yeah. Um, what are the advantages for your applications of using a quadruped over uh, a biped? So I, I'm a strong believer uh, of quadruped because... Uh, I think biped uh, just inherently less stable because you have a smaller um, uh, poly- contact polygon and uh, you just mm-hmm. sheer the number of yeah, yeah number of legs are less and uh, so in quadruped you can even stand and be able to stand with the one leg up because you can still have a tri- tri- uh, tripod and if you look at this a uh, majority of the mammal in the, in the in the world they are all quadruped you know. It's hard to draw like evolutionary reason, but uh, they have a lot more versatile uh, capability. Of course, the human is amazing, uh, uh, has an com- amazing capability to go over rough terrain, but when they become quadruped, if you're going over rock climbing, and then if you see those like uh, people, um, uh, enthusiasts that are running off the like jumping off the you know, buildings and the rock. The parkour uh, people? Yeah, yeah, those yes. are actually. Quadruped, <laughs> becoming yeah. a quadruped, right? This is not really biped. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, we our technology of con- controlling uh, uh, locomotion and balance is not as good as animal yet. I think quadruped has huge potential to be actually major uh, uh, mode of locomotion. And if you you will see if you see the DARPA challenge actual uh, demo uh, uh, next week, I think you will, you will see a lot of team actually use four leg or some oh, yes. sort of yeah wide. Uh, uh, support polygon to actually ensure their sta- uh, stability. Mm-hmm. I see. So, can you talk a bit about the actuators on the Cheetah too? Yes. So that's uh, probably the uh, one component we spend the most of the time, and then probably the why I start this project. So, um, in an, in leg locomotion, uh, there's a predominant uh, model called the slip model, spring loaded inverted pendulum. It's very uh, 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 like remarkable uh, model that actually enlightened a lot of researchers. Can you describe what it means a bit? So it's like a pogo stick, basically. So you know, running. If you look at human running or animal running, it's very complex. If you look at, there's so many joints, and there are a lot of pieces are uh, running around in very, very dynamic elastic fashion. And everything yeah. that makes it. And then this uh, biomechanics uh, uh, people in in 70s, late 70s and 80s, they find that. Uh, even though there's very complex and multi-body system and interacting with the ground, but your bottom line, your center of mass 
your phenomenon's trajectory during the stance pretty much look like a pogo stick. So as if the entire system become, the entire leg become like spring. And then basically a mass with the spring leg bouncing off the ground. That's basically uh, describing pretty much fundamental uh, mechanics of most of runners. So that actually, like, okay, now I start understanding. Uh, it's basically like a reduced model of running. But it's a surprisingly cover many, many uh, species, uh, many, many types of running. So start, people start, like, uh, uh, getting an idea. Oh, wow. So I don't need to de- you know, design this, like, 20 muscles and, you know, seven joints, uh, 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 leg to mimic, like, you know, human or animal running. So you can just have a spring that can well, take care of everything. Theoretically true, uh, but stability wasn't very good. So a lot of people try to mimic spring, uh, and then we actually are building a hypothesis. Probably we're not controlling leg like spring. We probably want to control. Say it again. You're not controlling what? We're not trying to. Uh, we're not con- trying to control our leg to be like spring. You okay. know, virtual spring, for example, and. Uh, so we actually started uh, developing hypothesis. Probably we're controlling force. That's actually why we start developing this actuator. So we, our actuator has a very little gear re- ratio and a very specialized motor that can generate high torque uh, per mass. So we're trying to maximize the force bandwidth, so how quickly you can change your force. At the same time, uh, minimize, uh, maximize the transparency. Transparency means... Um, uh, the minimum mechanical impedance between the actuator force source to the end defector. So basically, uh, electromagnetic uh, components, which is electric motor between the stator and the rotor, and then if you count all the masses and the frictions and uh, inertia from there to all the way to the foot, that inertia and friction will mitigate uh, will uh, mitigate the force transmission. So let's say if I push. My, if I if somebody pushes so my some hand, some force is lost. Exactly by the arm exactly. or the leg moving. So if you look at ninety nine percent of the robotic robotic system in the world, uh, including manufacturing robots, that transparency is nearly zero. Mm-hmm. So if somebody push robotic arm, the motor cannot feel that, which mm-hmm. means your motor cannot actually control force properly at the end defector. So what's the solution? They add a force sensor and then get feedback. That's a very dangerous idea when the robot actually interacts with the ground because it's non-collocated sensing. There's a huge what dynamic speed. Explain that, non-collocated so sensing. So non-collocated sensing means you're, you're trying to control uh, the force at the end effector, but you're actually, your force uh, transducers are far away, and there's a dynamics, uh, there's dynamics between them, there's delay between them. Mm-hmm. If you try to close loop uh, through this uh, non-collocated sensing, there's going to be inherent instability issue. So it's a very well-known well known, uh, 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 phenomenon in the 90s. So people uh, shows like how to you know, develop better controller to ins- uh, ensure those contact instability by developing different control algorithms. But there's still... Uh, I see. Uh, and so you make it elastic in a sense by the spring. So we, we may make it co-located pretty much. Yes. So we don't sense anything at the end effector. Okay. We actually sense... Uh, uh, through the actuator and then minimize the transmission. And I, we, it turns out that it's actually much closer to animals because our uh, actuator, our muscle to our end effector, there's almost no transmission. 
and your Golgi tendon is uh, combined with your muscle, which is a force sensor, and that can actually sense pretty much almost everything in the end effector. And uh, it's kind of like uh, it's not like super well uh, proven, but if you think about like human, when human is running and balancing, how much we are relying on the skin force sensor, we I believe actually is almost not much because. Uh, so it's mostly muscles. Mostly muscle force per perception. Uh, and of course, we skin sensors should detect the ground. Why no? I mean, I put in the ground, that kind of uh, cue. But I don't think the actual measurement, actual accurate measurement of force should be done in the muscle. Imagine you have a different type of shoes and you tie your shoes, shoelace a little stronger today, and then you have to adjust your step. That probably doesn't make sense, right? So uh, in our case, uh, it was a very practical sort of reason. Uh, first, the first non-collocated force sensing is not practical, not uh, feasible, especially when we need high bat, high, uh, high gain and high, high force, high performance. And any force sensor in the foot will be destroyed in less than 30 minutes. Oh, locomotion, yes. yeah, locomotion is, uh, is, is a surprisingly uh, violent, actually. If you think about uh, our each step peak force is about 500 Newton to 600 Newton. That's happening four times in a second. Hour as in hour as us walking? Or oh, sorry, hours the, hour the MIT, MIT Cheetah, uh, when it's running uh, in high speed, uh, each footstep costs about 500 Newton at the peak, which means you're, you're holding your robot and the hammering end effector four hertz at 500 uh, Newton, which is five kilo, five, 50 kilogram force. Mm-hmm. And how do you not strip your gears with all of this? So that's, that's the key of our uh, low impedance transmission. So Low impedance in what sense? So low inertia, low friction. Uh, there's no stiffness, but yeah, the inertia and the friction is the most of it. So if you're going back to the you know, conventional robotics, there's like 202 gear, gear reduction, especially harmonic drive, and, and those cause... Uh, a very enormous inertia, and if you do that, that and those are kind of robot, it's going to break somewhere, right? Just those forces cannot really transmit. In our case, your rotor can just give, so our electromagnetic uh, uh, interaction, that force, will be the only one that receives the force. So we can actually even regenerate the power. That's actually how we save energy when mm-hmm. you're running. So the spring. So a spring is in series with the motor. We don't have a spring in our But the tendon system system that you have. Those are hard and steel. There's no single mechanical compliance in our system. Really? Okay. Uh, Except the paw. The foot foot has a little bit of a rubber pad to minimize the impact of vibration. But uh, beyond that part, everything is rigid. So where is the energy storage that you were saying? So... uh, all the energy actually can uh, transfer to the uh, the motor side because there's very little inertia, very little impedance. So the motor will regenerate the energy and then restore it to the battery. It's like pretty much like the electric car, like Prius, when they, ba- when they brake, when they do negative work, energy goes back to the battery. Yeah. So uh, that's the key, actually, element. Like, you know, the minimum uh, inertia, so maximizing transparency, which makes our force bandwidth maximum, at the same time, that makes leg inherently much more robust against the impact because mm-hmm. the energy actually is restored rather than just breaking the gear in the middle or the parts. I see. So yeah. in our skeletal system or other animals, we do a little bit of energy storage because of the elastic component that's to very our composition. Yes. Yes. But you are taking the force that's generated back, and instead of storing it in like a tendon system, it's going back to the battery. Exactly. Are there conversions lost in this? That There's but, some conversion losses, yes. But this is is, uh, but uh, you've shown in your talk um, the efficiency of the system. 
and it's remarkably efficient in yes, comparable um, to biology. Yeah, there, there are a couple of things. For example, uh, our robots are far more efficient than uh, most of the uh, Would you robot. give us an idea, uh, place the efficiency of the Cheetah 2 compared so, to other animals? Yeah, so Cheetah and 2... And robotic systems, actually. Yeah, the cost of transport is a, is a proper measurement of the uh, efficiency in locomotion. And human is like 0.3. It's pretty good. Uh, one thing I need to mention, though, is the, this, this number is depending on the mass of the robot. So, for example, horses are better than human. Rats or dogs are worse than human because they're lighter. So bigger, uh, bigger animals tend to have a smaller number. And cheetah is like 0.4, and our robot is 0.5. Uh, a point four five. An actual yeah. cheetah. Yeah. Actual cheetah is point four. Our cheetah and is point four five. Yeah, it's nearly the same. And if you compare with the other robot existing, uh, one of the most remarkable robots, like a Honda Shimo, is like two. It's about seven times. How about Big Dog? Big Dog is about fifteen. With its hydraulic actuators, fifteen. Yeah, fifteen. Yeah, it's about thirty times worse than uh, actual animal, and they're actually heavier, so they need to compare with the their matching uh, animal. I I don't have a exact number. So um, we're matching nearly uh, like animal efficiency. I think it's because uh, of our unique actuation system. Not necessarily uh, uh, major cause is the regeneration. I think major cause is the light uh, transmission. You have much less uh, components, and then you lose very little through the transmission. And uh, you can act that allows to uh, actually move fast and so on. Um, but but uh, as you mentioned, like hum- some animals and humans should be better because their restoring energy should be more efficient. But that's not really true because uh, animals are more transparent, as in a sense. So like it's, if I push you, like if you relax your muscle, it becomes almost nothing. You you can make your muscle impedance almost zero, which means when you're storing that uh, muscle tendon, you muscles should actually hold hold the force. So holding for- muscle is very good at holding force, but still need to con- uh, consume energy. Which is same, uh, which is same for us, but uh, we actually can regenerate, whereas the muscle cannot regenerate the energy. And uh, there's an, another thing I need to mention is the animal efficiency that point four I mentioned is uh, measured through the metabolic energy, which is uh, measured through the oxygen consumption and estimated energy you need to consume, which is, involves uh, so many other processes. And then we are comparing with our electric consumption, electric electricity consumption, which is technically not fair in my opinion, because electricity is sort of like a refined source of fuel compared to fat or you know the sugar we have. There's a lot of inefficiency, uh, uh, energy loss through this process. They break down the sugar to make ATP. If you measure efficiency from ATP consumption to mechanical work, probably it's a different story. So I think actually, if you use electricity, electric motor, you should beat animal by a factor of like uh, two or so. So I think our was not nearly optimized. This is a one data point we just built, right? So we didn't actually put any effort to make robot more efficient. We pay attention to those principles when we design it. So that's probably uh, one of the reasons. But we didn't add any uh, components or mechanisms or optimize for algorithm to make it more efficient. I believe that we can actually cut our efficiency down, like increase efficiency by a factor of two. How? Uh, so the couple of things like uh, control optimization. We actually our controller. What do you mean by that? So you can actually uh, optimize optimize for your uh, your energy consumption. Our controllers are not optimized at all. 
So we haven't even studied that yet. And uh, in, in, in MIT Chira, the major source of energy loss is caused by force generation, so which means uh, it's just a torque generation, which actually is very consistent with the, some biomechanics data. An animal consumes 70% of energy uh, in just producing force. So if you are just... Uh, which, which means your energy is not going to be uh, proportional to your mechanical work. So mechanical work actually is a bad metric in uh, locomotion because we do a lot of negative work and then uh, we don't know how to actually deal with those negative work. In, 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 in MIT Chira, it's very easy because we know how to, uh, we know how much energy is actually stored and how much energy is burned. We can measure every single bit of it. Um, uh, so the one way to save uh, energy, another energy way to energy is the uh, adding parallel spring, not series elastic. So uh, series elastic doesn't really save like force generation, but parallel spring does. So we actually have a paper about uh, adding parallel spring. So can, can you describe a bit what parallel so spring <clears throat> would be? Um, so if you think about like a um, desk lamp. And desk lamp, uh, they have springs on the joints so that it actually balances itself. Right? It doesn't have an actuator, but it actually holds the position pretty well. You can actually move around and it still uh, uh, can hold the position pretty well because there's, there's a little bit of friction at the joint, but the, those springs are actually compensating the gravity. It's like a gravity compensation uh, done by a spring. So you can do the same thing on the, the chira leg because majority of the energy consumption is caused by generating vertical force. Fight against in, uh, 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 fighting against the gravity. So we can actually add a spring parallel in parallel to actuator to help to generate the vertical uh, gravitational force. And then they will uh, minimize, they will reduce the, the requirement of, of uh, torque generation in the motor. And then they will reduce uh, I square R, basically joule heating uh, dramatically. Mm -hmm. And that will make the cheetah significantly more efficient. Significantly more efficient, yes. Yeah. Can you give me a comparison of electric motors versus muscles? Yeah, uh, that's actually one of the most interesting we learned through MIT Cheetah project. So we naively start uh, with the idea, wow, we might be able to uh, uh, build a robot that runs like an animal, but uh, we can also learn how animal works through the system. That's actually one of the inspiring uh, aspects of this uh, project. And uh, more and more I do study and we see the measurement, we realize how much the electric motor different from uh, our biological muscle. I mean, now I'm thinking it's kind of obvious, but uh, there are huge differences. So, uh, for example, animals have their own, uh, you know, quadruped especially have a many different gait, like a, a running gait only, have a trot and a canter, gallop, and bound, and there are many, many gait, and then they have a, their own specific uh, um, Prefer speed, so when they want, they when they run three meters per second, they run a, they want to run trotting, but when they uh, running faster, they want to switch to galloping, and then we don't know exactly why, and we have some uh, speculations and uh, uh, hypotheses, and uh, so these gates, they're different modes of running. So like yes. we walk, then. There we can jog and then run, but there's not really something between walking and jogging yeah. in for us. And this is what you mean by gait. So in quadruped, it would be walking and galloping, and that yeah, there are between trotting. There are many many gates, but the majorly walk, 
and trot, canter, gallop. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the footfall pattern is different. And uh, there's some data shows that like animal really don't want to run this gait and this speed. And there's some uh, specific reasons. And um, and we don't know exactly why are they uh, like that. And there's energy consumption shows that actually you know uh, they probably don't want to run this way because energy consumption is pretty high. And our electric uh, uh, robot doesn't show any of those. It's actually very insensitive to gait. Um, and we realize uh, the electric motors are actually much less uh, picky in, in a way. So, for example, uh, our torque generation, so torque capability, is independent from position. So if you grab electric motor, in which position you are, it doesn't matter. You can generate the same torque. And then you can generate actually almost the same torque in, 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 uh, according to speed as well. If you have a high voltage uh, source high enough, we can generate exactly the same torque and any speed. If you look at the muscle, there are actually there these three: the speed and then force and position. They hardly couple each other. So, for example, your bicep, if your uh, elbow angle is 120 degree, that's where bicep generate the biggest force. And then, if your arm getting stretched, stretched more, and then become more straight, your bicep for- muscle force become very small. And then when then the bicep contract all the way to the uh, the shortest the, this, uh, length, your your force generation capability also drops significantly. And that's not only that. There's a, a also velocity dependent force capability. So when muscle is contracting fast, your force generation capability drops very small. And then muscle can generate a lot higher force when they're when they're actually expanding when they're doing negative work can generate much, much higher force. We don't know exactly the uh, energy consumption associated with that, but just the capability, maximum capability, is heavily, heavily depends on velocity and position, which, you know, make us think, huh, all this motion we generate, all the all this, like, steady state locomotion, should be highly depends on this muscle function. So electric motor doesn't have that. So uh, we start seeing this vast difference in, in energy consumption and then its capability. For example, like w- w- when you well, when you run, when you're recycling the leg seems like the high energy consumption. And when, when you run fast, uh, at some point we feel like you cannot recycle leg as fast as possible. In, in the MIT Cheetah case, the recycling leg energy consumption is very small. It's less than a 10%. So uh, it's probably because you can generate torque in any position, whereas muscle in uh, when when le- the leg is in the far back, I want to bring it forward back. Your muscle in charge of bull- bringing that uh, leg is in a, the maximum stretched position. Mm-hmm. So, so your, your force capability, most, it's as stretched yeah. as possible. Yeah. So your force cap- generated for capability is very bad. So animal is actually not very good at you know moving back and forth due to that reason. So probably you need to recruit the other part of muscles and resonate. We use many many different muscles. And whereas electric motor doesn't need this many muscles. Just one motor is enough. So that actually is related to the the spine. Spine have a, a lot of the back of the rope animal. Like cheetah use spine dramatically when they're running fast, and a lot of speculation. A lot of scientists interested in that aspect. And I, I don't have any answer, but I, my speculation is that like because the muscle have a very short um, uh, range of the motion, range of the the uh, operate like the good high force operating 
uh, uh, range. So for, as I said in the, on the bicep, only a, uh, t- uh, 20 to 30 degree you have a very high force and the rest of the range you don't have a high force. So in order to generate high power movement, like a jumping or throwing a ball or swinging a bat, you need to recruit many, many muscles in series, uh, series of fashion. I actually read a couple of papers showing that in golf swing, the maximum muscle activities is not happening at the same time, it's sequentially happening. Start from the ankle, start from, from the leg, and then fire, 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 and then going on, following, uh, climbing up your body, and this, uh, your back muscle, and then going to your arm. This is very sequentially activating because probably one muscle cannot generate momentum uh, for a long period of time because they have a, a, a fixed amount of uh, uh, good, good range of uh, uh, motion. So think about galloping. You're, you need to swing your leg uh, probably nearly as fast as 70 mile per hour to run 70 mile per hour, and then uh, one muscle cannot generate that kind of speed. So they probably rec- need to recruit many, many muscles, even more joint, because you know more joint is adding speed. So they can probably uh, increase their speed by adding one more joint, which is spine, I think. And in the electric motor case, it doesn't really matter because the speed is much cheaper in electric motor case. And muscle, as I said, if, you, if speed increases or force drops, in electric motor it doesn't, it's not like that. You can actually generate the same amount of torque in high speed as well. So what does this mean? So I think uh, it means electric motor is actually way easier to use because everything is nearly linear and is less uh, dependent on the position and on velocity. Uh, so I think it's actually more capable and more powerful actuator than uh, uh, human, human muscle. Although uh, we are not still uh, not capable, we're, we're still uh, not as good as muscle in different aspects. For example, force density. Like our finger, uh, our muscles that are in our, uh, driving our fingers or our jaw, all these muscles are not high power muscle, but it can generate really high force with a very small amount of mass. Like the one finger can handle like some people's mass, but the the muscles that are in charge of that finger is actually very minimal, so like less than 100 gram or something. They're not high power, but they are very high force, and still very transparent. They can actually relax very quickly. We cannot generate that kind of actuator uh, through electric motor yet. So force density yet, power density. I think we actually exceed the elect- uh, human muscle. Thank you. Thank you. And that's it for today. If you've not had enough yet, you can visit us at robotspodcast.com for access to all our past episodes. Or have a look at robohub.org for the latest news and developments in robotics. We'll be back in two weeks' time. Until then, goodbye. Cheetah with... Robots, the podcast for news and views on robotics.